The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of the company's episode two, where we're going to look closely at the series treatment of the CIA involvement in Cuba in the late 1950s. We might recommend that you check out some of our prior episodes, like our February discussion about the company episode one, and our recent discussion about the company episode two, and also our Good Shepherd episodes. While you're at it, you might want to hit subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so that you can always stay caught up with us. We really are working to kind of tie all these strands together and untangle the history from the mystery. That said, if you do want to just jump in with us right here, that's totally fine. Uh, Basically, we looked at a highly fictionalized version of the Bay of Pigs event in The Good Shepherd quite recently. And uh, in this episode, David and I are going to investigate whether or not the company presents a more factual version of those events. And that's what's coming up right now in this episode of Spies Like Us. Bay of Pigs, so again, like, we start out with, uh, you know, our our audience, surrogate Jack, landing in Guatemala in September 1960, so we've jumped ahead, like, four years, and, oh, and by the way, it's really important at this, or wait, in 1960, uh, so we've had a, uh, an administration change. We're not under Eisenhower anymore. Now we've got Kennedy in the White House. That's right. Yeah, that was a really big turn of events. But uh, the CIA under Eisenhower had been training uh, uh, what they call Brigade 2506 uh, for the operation against Cuba for, for actually years now. Yeah, I think when we were talking about this, you had said that uh, this whole plan had been under Eisenhower and was just executed under Kennedy. These operations uh, that the CIA is planning and what the State Department is doing and what the administration is saying, like, just all don't feel like they're all working together as a coordinated unit. You know, that's part of what, like, Robert De Niro in the Good oh Shepherd. Bill Donovan, Wild Bill yeah. Donovan, right was was trying to kind of put together, but it looks like it's kind of gotten a little out of hand. I, but, I mean, it um, kind of took a life of its own, especially with Alan. The he was just like uh, a guy that loved adventure. Uh, apparently, he read the book Kim every night, which is the same author as the Jungle Book. And like he was, he was completely enthralled by the 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 idea of intelligence. So he 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 took it to a whole nother level, from what I understand, than what was originally planned. We have Jack being sent into Cuba to train, you know, Brigade Twenty Five Oh Six. Now, now I know. Now I'm gonna have to kind of qualify this uh, a little bit uh, because th- this this shot is like super Spielbergy, even though this is not a Spielberg film. It's it's definitely feel good, like, ah, we're going to, you know, do the right thing. He walks in and, you know, there's other uh, U.S. soldiers there that have been training the military. And he's brought in as like, you know, the intelligence contact to kind of take over the operation. 
but they they were there physically training the soldiers they created like this watering hole kind of like a swimming pool but like in the dirt and they roped it off and and they had a sign up yeah it was like officers only or whatever and, and so it like and jack comes up and like looks at at the cuban soldiers and and by the way the brigade that was being trained by america these were cuban nationals that had been kicked out of their country Mm -hmm. these are people who loved their country they were they were soldiers for their country like these weren't just like random dudes like these guys fought for their country were you know signed up for the military for their country you know you know, trying to get their country back. And there's just a sign like officers only, like you're not allowed to like, you know, be in the pool with us, you know? So Jack comes up and pulls off the sign and like, you know, breaks it over his knee. And he's like, ah, you know, like, so the shot is very like, uh, you know, it, it feels like, you know, those, those movies where it's like, uh, that guy is going to come and, you know, change everything and blah, blah, blah. And that's what it really feels like. But, why this is my number one best trade craft. I'm it, all ears. Yeah. <laughs> he recognized the problem of what was going on. The guys that are training these dudes to take their country back, like a racial divide. Like we are the American officers. You are the Cuban privates. You guys stay the fuck over there. And basically Jack saw the problem uh, that this was going to, uh, create as far as morale goes within the ranks. I agree. Uh, you know, okay. I agree it's a good move. I agree it's plus five points. Uh, best, you know, you'll have to, you'll have, to, history will judge you. I give you Kritsky doing this master, like, triple play, fuck with you fucking masterful plan in the in the very seat of of the cia headquarters and you've got jack removing a no swimming sign (laughs) look the kritzky move was great i'm not saying it doesn't deserve number one It, it was just this whole sequence of events and then i watch and and with jack not doing anything really you know this this is really right. like he needs, he needs some stuff to do. Yeah, right. like they gotta they gotta put. They, well, it's true. It's yeah. true though, because that's always gonna be the problem when you put, uh, you know, uh, you know, when you run this kind of play, when you put uh, a character that didn't ever exist into a bunch of historical events, like he's. You, you've kind of trapped yourself as a writer. He can't do anything significant because that would change history. Right. And so he's always just got to be, you know, like what he is primarily as an observer and an audience surrogate. But, I mean, yeah, this, these, this is a cute, like, little uh, thing that they let Chris O'Donnell do. Yeah. And I think had the you know sorry to spoil the boil of pigs but had the airstrike come <laughs> that was promised i think it might have been successful <laughs> oh spoiler alert the bay of pigs didn't work out the way we wanted it to yeah <laughs> but uh back in washington they're planning that shit yeah they they are definitely planning it 
my huge question that keeps coming up to the fore oh, is like, yeah. why are these important decisions being made by the CIA? You can still find people that disagree about how much Eisenhower knew and and how much JFK knew about it, but it it feels to me like JFK, because remember also, like, JFK had won a very difficult election. He's the first Catholic uh, to take the executive office, right? Right. I feel like he's got a... I feel like he runs his presidency as short as it is before he gets popped. He runs it like a, a man who's got something to fucking prove. Number one, prior to Watergate, uh, the CIA was actually held in very high regard and uh, they pretty much had a lot of free passes to do whatever you, they, they could just say, Hey, we need, they, they could go to Congress and be like, Hey, or the president could go to Congress. And, hey, we need this money or this approval for state secrets. And they would be like, they would feel like a Patriot, but like, yes, go ahead. And it wasn't until Watergate when Congress was like irate, um, so that that's part of the reason why the CIA had so much, uh, I guess, sovereignty. Accepting of that historical accuracy, when I say I question it, I'm not questioning the historical accuracy. I'm questioning the, like, what the fuck were we doing back then? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there was free reign, and you put a man like Alan Dulles uh, in charge of this organization who's going to use that sovereignty to its full potential you know wh whether you believe he was doing it for one reason or another you know he, he was the type of man that could take full reins of you know that type of a pony <laughs> so, so to speak right so so that's one aspect of what you're talking about the, the other thing is from what i've read uh despite what uh, a lot of people have believed about JFK, he was ecstatic about working with intelligence. So prior to Watergate, uh, there was no internet, uh, intelligence community. It was literally just the executive branches in charge of intelligence. And so JFK was like super like in, into the idea of working with the CIA and whatever they wanted to do. So the idea that this plan had been, you know, uh, cooking under Eisenhower and wasn't executed, then JFK comes in. He probably saw that and was like, oh, yeah, let's go. But on on a public scene, the U.S., you know, and this was discussed in the movie, the U.S. couldn't be implicated in anything and was not going to take any overt action, which is primarily why the airstrike never came. Um, but uh, fr from what I've read, JFK was, like, really excited to work with them. Like, like he was, like, uh, super into it. So yeah, I believe I think, that. I believe that, and that goes to my point of like him coming into the administration and wanting to, uh, you know, wave his big dick around, <laughs> like, like, and and you know, I I really feel this, like, uh, you know, because they launched Bay of Pigs very soon uh, after JFK comes into office. It's 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 in the first year at least. And I think, you know, like, yeah, he, he came in and and said, like, you know, I, I'm not going to try to do a weird Boston fuck. I just almost. 
But it happened in April of 61, and JFK was elected in 61, wasn't he? So th- it was super quick. Right, it's super quick. I think he wanted he wanted to establish really fast, like, I am the new face of anti-communism. Get me a win. And when the CIA came to him and said, oh, by the way, we got this plan that we've been working on for like five years and it's ready to go. I'm sure he looked at that and said, you know, he just fucking creamed his jeans and said yeah. like, oh my God, give me that. Yeah. <laughs> get, get Castro. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's a huge political win for him that, that establishes him as the no nonsense, fuck you, Russia president. Right. Which I believe he wanted. And Bobby Kennedy, his brother, which, and they were very tight, you know, said later, it was never officially said, but that uh, from day one, getting rid of Castro was their number one objective. They wouldn't have said that in public because that would be stupid. Yeah, right. As as we know, it it didn't work out well, and uh, we know that Kennedy made a lot of really good moves uh, to make sure that uh, Bay of Pigs, like, I, I, I'll give him this absolutely as credit. The man learned from his mistakes, and he immediately made changes to make sure that these kind of mistakes would not be made in the future. You've heard of the uh, PDB, the Presidential Daily Briefing? Right. The Presidential Daily Briefing is instituted in 1961, two months after Bay of Pigs. So it's clear that Kennedy said, like, okay, hold on. In the future, instead of you guys in the CIA bringing, like, doing all your work in secret and doing all your stuff and making all your plans, and then, like, eventually come up to me bring it up the chain to a decision where I need to make a yes or no decision, go or no go. Instead, in the future, maybe I should know, like, everything you're doing every fucking day. (laughs) So that when I have to make these hard decisions, I'm actually, like, read in on, like, everything you're doing. And, And that's, I mean, he did that. That's that's the origin of the PDB. Except the problem is in this movie, the guy doing the PDB is uh, Kritsky. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which is, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a news report that says like Washington has decided that Castro must go. I don't think that that's accurate. The administration had decided that Castro needs to go. But I don't think that was uh, in their press releases. <laughs> no, probably not. They probably like painted him as like a threat or something, but they probably didn't say, "Hey, we're gonna go shoot him," you know, or poison his milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. We also see news footage of him like promising, you know, there will be no overt intervention. I'm not even gonna try to do a Boston accent. Uh, or and and you know that Boston accent that that 
Kennedy accent. It's not a Bostonian accent. It's a fucking Kennedy accent. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's literally it's their family. It's yeah. Not, it's, it's not anything other than that. Uh, we also see like uh, you know a little historical thing like uh, we see that Castro in a news release um, it says he he just came back from a meeting with the White House, right? And he's announcing that he's sure that like the Americans plan to invade. Should it have been more of a red flag than it was to the planners of the Bay of Pigs that Castro is literally telling the entire world the Americans are planning an invasion might be a signal to you that he knows about your plans? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I know that he did a visit to Washington during the Eisenhower administration and, uh, and met with Nixon. But in the timeline of this movie, it's presented as if he had had a meeting. It's just, it's just doesn't quite line up. There was no meeting uh, of Castro with the white house during the JFK administration is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He met with Nixon Matt Eisenhower with Nixon and and supposedly Eisenhower okay, okay and he wasn't he wasn't invited as an official diplomatic mission he was invited to Washington by a core of uh, like uh, uh, Washington press organization or something and uh, supposedly Eisenhower like immediately like just went on a on a golfing trip. Just to like be like very very far away from Washington, right? Because he didn't even want to have any chance of uh, rubbing elbows with Castro. But supposedly Castro did talk with Nixon, who was the vice president at the time. Nixon walked away from that meeting, uh, pretty sure that uh, Castro was uh, absolutely like drinking the water, the communism Kool Aid. Yeah, and. Uh, likely a major threat but um i guess that you know plays out the way it plays out there's so many things that historians argue about about like uh why the bay of pigs failed in the good shepherd and in the company we are given to believe for probably cinematic reasons that it's successful Soviet intelligence. I mean, you have to give major minus points for uh, pulling off the operation. Uh, We see in the film that uh, there were objections raised. Angleton, especially, he's the guy who throughout this series is the voice of, we really can't pull off any covert operations while there's a mole. Well, yeah, I mean, that was like the, the biggest gripe that I had. And, and I think I'm going to make this my number one worst. Uh, when they have the meeting about whether or not to get involved with the Bay of Pigs or what uh, capacity, you have Alan Dulles, James Angleton, 
and like I don't know an army of uh, analysts or executive like intelligence officers or something. Like the room is probably full of like forty to fifty people, and uh, there's all already been complaints from uh, Angleton about possible moles, and and here we are making a major decision in front of everybody. Um, a lot of this would have been like compartmentalized information. Uh, so I, I think you put this down as your number two, but I, I'm I'm making this my number one. Uh, like on on a high level of decision making, you shouldn't be discussing these plans in front of all of these people. Like you should have already vetted like maybe one, maybe two, maybe like five at the most people where you're like, all right, we're going to make this decision now. And then, you know, uh, delegate orders from there. You know, I think at this point, like, they'd already made the decision to move ahead, and it's only now that, like, you know, somebody, like, raises his hand <laughs> kind of hesitantly. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, realistically, Angleton and anybody else, like, should have made their objections earlier. You know, they shouldn't have waited until uh, this moment. <laughs> well, Angleton did. And, and that's why the opposite was like, when he was like, we shouldn't be discussing this. It's going to make no point to have this discussion if the mole's listening. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right, your moles. He had already made the point earlier, you know, and, and everybody, and like, this is what's kind of historically, everybody thought he was crazy because he went on a crazy witch hunt for moles after Kim Philby. Um, right, yeah, like, you know, Tariti is, is the voice uh, that we see in the movie that, uh, you know, like, that's that's kind of saying like, hey, I think Angleton's kind of fucking crazy, <laughs> but he's not crazy. I mean, you know, if you if you buy into this into this version of events, Angleton, you know, you need to listen to that motherfucker. Right, right. But back on the beach, uh, we have we have the invasion. Um, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the invasion. Uh, prior to the actual invasion, um, first of all, they set the, the, the battalion out in the middle of the ocean and they had like weeks worth of like food and supplies out on ships waiting for the invasion. Uh, then the U S plans a bunch of like decoy operations to kind of throw off Castro uh, and this might be where we could. Now you're believe... talking history and and not yeah. something we see in the movie, right? Right. No, we we are from the the office setting. We move right to the the invasion. But I wanted to discuss a little bit of the history, like, uh, and this might be some reasons to support that there would have been Russian espionage that foiled the Bay of Pigs, because. Um, uh-huh. The U.S. flat out threw out a bunch of decoy operations. So they sent the the invading force out in the ocean waiting, and they camouflaged them or whatever, however you would do that, and gave them weeks' worth of food and supplies just in case. Then uh, we, we planned an air attack. Uh, or No, there was like a diversionary landing near uh, Baracoa, uh, which is in the or- Orient province. Um, and... And then there were like these fake flights 
and there was like bombings and stuff. There was even a plan to have a sonic boom go off somewhere that would break out windows and stuff like there was like all these planned decoys then like a fake war started and and stuff like that and then the invasion was pulled in like i i think it was i I didn't even realize that all this stuff had happened prior to the invasion so I, i just wanted to point out that there was a lot of stuff put into this invasion and so that might actually support the idea that there was russian uh I guess um, uh, double agents working that uh, knew about the invasion ahead of time and might have foiled the plans in one way or another politically, uh, I guess, um, or through the media or whatever, um, or just told Fidel right away. Uh, My my, my (laughs) whole feeling about this period of history in the CIA is that, like, they never saw an idea that they didn't like. That like they're just fucking, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it just You're seems right. like they're fucking just throwing everything into the kitchen sink, and like and saying like, oh, like any idea, like oh yeah, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that, <laughs> let's do these three things. And a lot of these plans that they had were foiled by the fact that, uh, you know, Castro's secret police were fucking on point. And they had a shit ton of counterintelligence people that were feeding bad information to the people that were trying to put on the ground. Yeah, and they were and... just playing. They were just playing the game. You know, it, it's uh, it's the height of what you call it that you know hubris. That you know, because we're the mighty USA, we can play intelligence games better than this tiny little country. But in fact, like we, we got outplayed at every fucking turn. Yeah. I, actually that's how Cuba was planned out. Um, the prior to, uh, you know, Castro taking over Cuba, we actually went and dumped a bunch of money into the elections in Guatemala and forced out the communist regime this, and political is, parties. This is so important. Bring this plane in for landing, buddy. Yeah, this, this is super duper important. This is historical and not in the movie. Basically, 100%. the 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 Communist Party in Guatemala was getting really powerful, and um, we dumped a ton of money into those elections and basically forced out the Communist Party. Um, and, and you know, like we pat ourselves on the back, like you know that we didn't spill any blood and blah blah blah, but. The people that had among the people who fled the country was Castro and Che Guevara, among other people. And uh-huh. Castro established Cuba specifically to block CIA penetration. He so, had learned he had learned his lessons and he built that entire apparatus specifically. Right? Specifically to block CIA penetration. So not only did he create like an island that was highly secured, blocking out anybody, established this like totalitarian communist government. But he also like employed all this insane like disinformation and misinformation, had like double agents all over the place. Like like counterintelligence was like like way, way, way up to par. And you know, that goes back to your point that you know we're we're just the the big bad dog on the street and like this little tiny island is not gonna mess with us. You know, and I think that a certain amount of racism might apply here, too. You know, that, like, uh, 
you know, just the feeling that like white Protestant awesomeness is is <laughs> gonna be able to easily crush these stupid brown people. <laughs> I said it. I said it. Well, I mean, that definitely was shown in the movie with the the no swimming pool uh, sign, the no swimming sign. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a separation of race at that point, but you know, uh, did you have anything else to say about Bay of Pigs? Well, no, we, I think you had, uh, one of your, your number two best was on the ground. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, the Bay of Pigs whole situation is falling apart and, you know, Jack has made a connection with his Cuban counter-revolutionary leader. Right, and that guy. Once everything falls apart, that guy is says like, "You got to get out of here." Now, Chris O'Donnell, he's got to play the hero, right? Right, exactly. He's got to be like, "No, I'm gonna stand with you guys." Yeah, and this guy's like, "No, you need to get the fuck out of here." And he whips out his pistol, points it straight at Cod's head. And says, I will fucking shoot you if you don't jump into that surf and get the fuck out of here. Because one thing that we cannot have happen is for anybody to know that you were involved. Yep. I think that's good tradecraft. I, I, I think, think I think it's a good, good one. That's that's a good bold move and it's the right move. Yeah. <laughs> Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. You know, I really enjoyed watching this again. Uh, you know, I think I've seen it twice before we decided to even do the company on the podcast. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with it, watching things, step, especially like kind of looking back into the history. But I, I still feel the same way that we did about Company Episode 1. You know, there's a lot of, uh, like... Uh, moments, you know, uh, where where the production quality wasn't exciting or the dialogue wasn't that exciting. So I'm I'm gonna give it a solid three. I definitely would recommend to watch it, but I don't think it's like super, super, super like you know, uh, put together like as far as production value. Sure, and you're sticking with a three, which is also what you had given episode one of the company. Back then, I went with a two point five because I was disappointed in what I think I suspect might have been a little editing failure in uh, messing up the story but this one I didn't find that problem at all so I'm happy to meet you with a three as well yeah it's definitely a solid three what about your tradecraft I had to do a little bit of thinking to get to my best tradecraft number three but when on on rewatching, it does make sense that if you buy into the idea that Wisner was a proponent of American intervention, it would make sense for him to send Jack in to delay the revolt because he knew Wisner, that is, knew that he didn't yet have support in Washington so I think that's 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 my reasoning for my 
my number three best trade draft. My number two best trade draft is, uh, yeah, where, uh, you know, after Bay of Pigs failed, uh, Cuban rebel guy, you know, says, like, Jack, you need to get out of here. You, there needs to be no American involvement whatsoever, and I will shoot you myself. And my number one best, it's Kritsky that floats the idea out there that uh, maybe the Americans don't need to involve themselves in Hungary if they can make the Soviets think that the Americans will get involved. Uh, my number three best is Jack prepping the lie when he was revealed to be CIA during the interrogation. This was probably practiced and planned out. You know, if you get caught, say we're coming to back up the revolution. Uh, my number two, we actually didn't get to discuss in the podcast, mainly because it was like one little scene uh, that was way outside the scope of, you know, the major two acts that we have in uh, the story. Uh, but from, you know, the company part one, if you remember, Yevgeny, uh, or his name's Eugene, uh, he gets caught up walking around with a bag full of groceries, and he's about to get caught. And uh, they're like, get your hands up. He's like, uh, I'd be happy to do that, but I'm carrying a bag full of nitroglycerin, and that's just going to screw us both up. And they're like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. We got to move. And what he does is he throws the bag in the air, which gets the guy's attention who's got a gun pointed at him. And he just like bolts out. So I thought that was kind of cute, uh, a way for him to get away. Uh, but my number one, which I know Todd was not a fan of, but uh, was Jack removing the, the officers only like no swimming sign. What about your worst, Todd? You know, when the Hungarians are, you know, they've got the AVH on the ropes and you've got that uh, one dude that is promising. He has information about the mole that would solve this entire problem. He pitches it to his Hungarian revolutionary friend as... This will be a, uh, an asset for the CIA. That's a mistake. Right. It really should have been pitched as this will this this guy has information that will promote your cause. Pitching it as as oh it'll be valuable to me doesn't really help in this situation where me hasn't really helped you. At all. Right. <laughs> my number <laughs> right. My number two worst, uh, you know, I'll just I'll just pitch it at uh Bissell should have listened to Angleton. And uh easy, easy, easy number one worst trade craft. Jack, you know the AVH is on to you in Hungary and you're just like la 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 I'll just fucking cross the bridge and let them grab you. Fuck you, Jack. <laughs> uh, my number three worst was sending Jack in alone. Uh, my, I'm always going to harp on, on having a team. It's, it's a really bad idea to not have a team, and especially not to a place like that <laughs> that's a little unstable. Uh, my number two uh, was Todd's number one. You know, Jack just 
hanging out in the open, taking like his time brooding over a bridge uh, when he knows the AVH are on him or and are trying to catch him. Um, and then my number one worst was having this enormous meeting to talk about whether or not to have a corvette covert invasion of the bay of pigs um when especially when there's been talks about possible moles um you know that type of information should have been compartmentalized and probably only known to like a handful of people so yeah and now redactions i this could be a short discussion uh, redaction again, it's a lower number is the most realistic, means that this film has not been redacted, isn't filled with a bunch of lines that have been crossed out with uh, black ink, uh, and a high number means something that is uh, more or less just fantasy. Uh, we gave the first episode a 1.5, that's our starting bid. What do you say, Dave? I I think a 1.5 is a good place to keep this at. Uh, I don't think it's more realistic than some other things, and I don't think it's less realistic than other things that we've given, like a two. Uh, You know, there's still some holes in accuracy or historical uh, standpoint, so I think a 1.5 is a good place to be at because a lot of the situations are very realistic, and a lot of them might have been fudged a little bit. I'm with you. They're they're sticking with a certain tone and a certain uh, devotion to accuracy. Uh, that leaves uh, the company uh, in the running still. 1.5 is the uh, best rating we've given uh, any of our stuff. It uh, is in the winner's circle so far with um, Munich and a most wanted man. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good place for it to be. I I don't think it's more realistic than either of those. Right. Well, I think the thing is that uh, the reason it shares that spot with Munich is because both Munich and the company are tackling history and maybe playing a little bit around with it, whereas The Most Wanted Man kind of is free to be just a piece of fiction, but it fits so perfectly, and all the spycraft in it is just, like, unassailable. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. So, so these are our most realistic films so far. Someday we're going to find that that superstar that we go all the way down to a one. Yeah, that would be great. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see something like that. We might have to just watch a documentary. <laughs> and that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You can find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler. <laughs>